preach about Jesus again this morning. Is that okay? Like I told you last night, if you come to hear me preach 99 times out of 100, I'm going to be talking about Jesus. That's, I, I, don't really, I don't really see much else. It don't matter where you go in the Bible, it all points to Jesus. You start way back in Genesis, it points to Jesus. You go to Revelation, it points back to Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. So, so rather than, than trying to be some big, deep, theological whatever, I, I'm pretty simple. I just preach about Jesus. And I got in the habit of that. It started, like, it used to be, you know, you, you'd come, you'd preach, and, and you, you preach the word of the Lord, but, you know, you want people to think you really know something, too, you know, when you're younger, you know, when you're young and you know everything. I remember those days. I used to have a sign in my office that said that young people are people who someday will grow up to be as stupid as they think their parents are right now. <laughs> Remember when you were young and you knew everything? How many remembers those days? Sure. And I used to think, well, you have to dig out all this deep stuff and deep stuff and come up with all these things nobody's ever heard before, which everybody's heard before somewhere, but you think they haven't. You know, you're trying to impress everybody with how much you know and what you've studied and how much you've learned. And, and I started a, a church on Vancouver Island. I was pastoring a really good church there. And it was a wonderful place. I had Pastor Gary and Sister Nancy were out and preached for me there on Vancouver Island and quite a few years ago. And the Lord opened up a door, and, and I started a Chinese church. And this is when I knew for sure that God had a sense of humor. Because I'm on the West Coast in the middle of tree hugger world, and I'm a redneck hillbilly from back east. You know, I hunt and I fish and I live outdoors as much as I can. I'm blue collar. I work with my hands. And, and I'm out here on the West Coast. And all of a sudden, God opens the door for this redneck hillbilly to start a Chinese church among these Chinese professional people. And I mean, these are well-educated people. The, the lady who helped me with this, she was... Uh, uh, head marine biologist at the scientific research station in Nanaimo, and, and I had people there that were uh, money people, like they, they were investment brokers. I had one guy owned an import-export company. Another guy, his family owned a company in China that built medical equipment, and that's the kind of people. They're all professional people, well-educated. I had university professors and teachers, and half of them couldn't even speak English. And most of them had never seen a Bible before, never held a Bible before. They came from China. And, you know, we take so much for granted over here. You know, we think automatically people, they know the story of David and Goliath. They know about Jonah and the whale. And they, they know about Moses and the bulrushes or the Ten Commandments or, or Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, we, those familiar stories that even people that don't go to church, they kind of have an idea that some of this stuff went on. Well, these folks are a total clean slate. Like, it's blank. It's a blank page. And we got this thing going. We, we were going to have our first Bible study. And I knew there was going to be about 25 of these adults show up. And I didn't know what to say. Now, if you can imagine me being lost for words, I really was. I, I did not know where to start. 
because all my life, all my preaching has been in churches and, and, and in a church context or in a special meeting or revival or whatever. And you automatically assume everybody comes, they, you know, the songs are familiar and they worship and they praise. And even people that are in church, they come in and they kind of get in the groove of things and they know what's going on a little bit. And I didn't know what to do. And I called a Chinese pastor friend of mine over in the city of Vancouver I said, what in the world am I going to tell these people? Where do I start? And he said to me, he said, start with the prodigal son. Tell the story of the prodigal son. Read it to them out of the Bible. Tell them the story of the prodigal son. He said, that's written in the context of Eastern culture, and they'll get the story. He said, that'll be your hook. They will understand that story. It will touch their hearts. And then he said, just talk about Jesus. I thought it was the best advice I had ever got in all the years I've been in ministry. Just talk about Jesus. And so they came, and we told the story of the prodigal son. By the time I was two-thirds of the way through that story, some of them said, it was about 25, sitting around this big table. And I look, and here's a tear coming down one person's face, and here's somebody else sniffing a little bit, and, and they're getting it. And I realized there's nothing better to talk about than Jesus. Nothing better than Jesus. And for the next two years, every Friday night we met, and we just stayed in the Gospels, and we talked about Jesus. We just told the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus said and what he did and what it means and who he was and and every month, we'd have a communion service in the main church, because they'd all come to the main church. And so I had a whole section in the church there, all filled with Chinese people. And, and most of them were unchurched people, but they weren't coming because they were hungry for God. They were coming because it was a good place to practice their English. That's true. We, we'd put our songs up on the screen in Mandarin. We'd sing in English. They didn't want a translator. They wanted us to do church in English, because they're trying to learn English. So we'd have the words up there in Mandarin, but we'd sing in English. I'd go to preach, and we'd put my sermon outline up on the screen in Mandarin, but I'd be preaching in English. And we got parallel Bibles for them all. And every month at communion time, we'd go through the story of the cross, talk about Calvary. And I don't believe there was a single month went by that by the time we were done taking communion, Somebody would bring somebody forward at the end of the service and say, so-and-so decided to be a Christian today. So-and-so wants to be a follower of Jesus today. So-and-so wants to give their heart to the Lord today. And we baptized just one after another of those folks and led them to the Lord, and it was a wonderful experience. And I realized the power of talking about Jesus. I asked the Lord to forgive me for all the times I preached about all the other stuff. And I said, I'll do my best to mostly just preach about Jesus. And so I do. So if, if that's too simple, you're going to be disappointed because that's what I am. I'm just about as simple as they come. I, I, I'm not complicated. I'm not going to preach anything complicated. We're just going to tell you about Jesus. You okay with that? You still with me? Amen. Because he's all we want. He's all we need. He's all there is. Praise the Lord. What else is there? What else is there? Mark chapter 10. Starting at verse 46. 
Now, today I've got a bottle of Perrier I'm drinking instead of my Diet Coke. That don't offend anybody, does it? If it does, you see me after church, and I'll pray for you, and you'll be all right tomorrow. Are you still with me? Mark 10 and verse 46. We'll get the cover on that. Now, they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Of course, we get this quite a lot in these stories, don't we? But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray in the next few minutes that you'd open up our hearts to receive, that you'd draw us near to you, and that your perfect will would be done in this house this morning. Lord, we just speak healing and deliverance, salvation, freedom over this house today, and Lord, we just, we just pray that great grace would be upon us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen. So we got the story here of this blind man who's sitting by the road and he spends his time, his life is all about this little patch of road where he sits every day and he has a little cup or a little something and he rattles it around and people drop money in it. They didn't have much for a social safety net in those days and that is pretty much the way you spent your days if you were disabled in any way. He was a beggar. That's all he knew, he was a beggar. He was a blind man and this was his lot in life. As he sits there and days go by, he becomes attuned to his surroundings, and he, he probably knows more of what's going on in the city than anybody that lives there. Because even though he can't see, he's stationary and he's listening all the time. He can tell by the shuffling of the sandals and by the steps that are coming next if somebody's coming that, that may perhaps put a coin in his cup. And he can tell by the way they march by if they're ignoring him or not or if they're looking at him. And, and he gets his senses tuned in. And he's listening all the time for what's going on around him. And somewhere along the way, he starts hearing these stories about this guy named Jesus. And he hears stories about dead people being raised. And he hears stories about, about crippled folks uh, getting, their, getting the use of their limbs back. And he hears stories about deaf ears being opened and, and all of these things. And then he hears a story about a blind man receiving sight. And he's just kind of, wow. And he's thinking, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus will ever come here. I've been in churches to sometimes when I've wondered that. 
Amen. I've been in places preaching where I, I thought that they talked about the move of God they were having, and I thought the only move was here as God moved out. <laughs> he moved away. You know, you ever been in one of them places like that? It, it was, it'd be so dead. I was in one place that was so dead. The only movement they had there were the plants growing in the vestibule. <laughs> the only thing that was rising up at all. But he, he's listening, and he's listening, and, and uh, one day he hears the sound of a crowd coming up the road, and he's listening, and he's getting ready, because if there's a crowd of people coming, there's going to be some folks put money in his cup. It's a good day when a crowd goes by. And he's, he's getting all excited, and then he hears somebody utter the name Jesus, and he gets really excited. And he starts listening, and he's listening. And he kind of figures out where the crowd starts. And, the, and then the, the crowd just kind of gets bigger and bigger as it goes by him. And then he, he realizes that, that Jesus is in the middle of the crowd, and, and he's right close. And he begins to cry out with a loud voice, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I'm going to just, just pause for a moment. It's okay to hit the pause button just for a moment. Pastor and I were just chatting a little bit this morning before church, and we both come to the same conclusion that God is in the process of sifting the world right now. Sometimes what we look at as a bad thing isn't really a bad thing. I, I believe that God has shook a lot of dead branches and a lot of dead wood off the church in the last two years. I really do. Uh, if you're here today, it's because you really want to be here. You didn't just come, come dragging. It isn't just a habit. You got out of the habit in the last two years because they've been closed and it's been hard to go and, and they haven't been really able to, to communicate that well with one another. And so it was easy for people to quit coming to church. And a lot of churches are feeling that, and they're still feeling that. And, and a lot of folks haven't come back yet. And sometimes we look at that as a bad thing, but it could very well be a good thing. You look at the story of Gideon. He starts out with this vast number of people, and God says, you got too many. So they have a little thinning out session, and Gideon thinks, man, pretty near everybody's gone. And, and God says, you still got too many. If you went up to battle with them, you wouldn't think it was me who did it. You'd think you did it. So he thins them out again. And when he gets them all thinned out, he goes from this great big vast army of volunteers to just a handful of folks, and they defeat the enemy, and the only one that gets the glory is God. Praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, that, that when it comes to, to the idea of God having a revival, sometimes he has to kind of prune the tree a little bit and clip the branches a little bit. And if he uses a plague to do it, or he uses something else to do it, or persecution to do it, it's not a bad thing. Because he isn't just looking for the called, and he isn't just looking for the chosen. He's looking for those that are found faithful, those that are there through thick and thin, those that will show up and pray when nobody else does, those that will worship him when nobody else feels like it, those that say, I'm in here for the long haul, and nothing's going to move me. Praise the Lord. And so I, I, I don't think that everything that's happened in the last two years is a bad thing necessarily. Now, if you don't agree with that, that's fine. You have the right to be wrong. 
<laughs> the second thing I want you to notice as we hit this pause button is Barnabas, when Jesus got right across from him there and that crowd's all around him, he did something that is so powerful, I'm surprised that everybody doesn't catch it on the first reading. He starts worshiping. He cries out, Jesus, which literally translated, if you were a Jew back then, it means Jehovah has become my salvation. Thou son of David, hooking him up to the greatest king that Israel has ever recognized. And here's this old blind guy that, that doesn't get to church and hasn't been in the synagogue and spends his life out there begging. All of a sudden, he's screaming at the top of his lungs in plain old everyday English, King of kings, Lord of lords, King of kings, Lord of lords, have mercy on me. And when we come to the place where in the midst of our distress, we can still choose to worship God, you're going to get his attention every time. Praise God. Jesus said, stop. Not to him, but to everybody around him. So we're going to put this church service on pause here. We're going we're to halt this healing meeting just for a minute. I'm hearing something I really like. You know, the Bible says, Lord, and have us the praises of his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Praise the Lord. Here's what the Jesus himself said to a woman at Samaria. He said, the hour comes and now is. I like that. How can something be coming and now is at the same time? He said, it's coming and it now is when the true worshipers are worship in spirit and in truth. For God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But it's the next line that ought to really grab you. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you wondered where God was? And you didn't really know where to go looking for him? Start worshiping. Because when you start worshiping, he's going to come looking for you. <laughs> he's coming. He's on his way. You say, it's a really bad night. Well, praise him anyhow. I'm feeling really bad. Well, praise him anyhow. Well, well, the doctor gave me a bad report. Well, praise him anyhow. Well, things aren't going so good in my life. Well, praise him anyhow. Well, I, I, I so-and-so looked at me sideways. Well, praise him anyhow. Well, I don't feel that good this morning. Well, praise him anyhow. And you start praising him. And you start worshiping him. And you start lifting him him up and you start giving him glory and all of a sudden where the twos or threes are gathered in his name he shows up and he says hey what do you want there's no substitute for praise and I believe that's one of the things that God is doing in these days he's raising up a generation of people that are worshiping him that are passionate about him that want to pour out their heart to him that come to church every day singing he's all I want he's all I need he's all I have he's all I am there's nothing else but you Lord I love you and when you start worshiping him he starts listening it's like all of heaven quiets down. God is just like this. 
with a big smile on his face. And he's saying to the angels, see that right there? That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. And this old blind man, he begins to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the first thing I want you to get this morning in the idea of this story is learning to seize the moment. There's two tragedies in the Bible. They're in the Old Testament. One is the story where Jacob wrestled with the angel. There's a tragic side to that story because it's what he says in the next day when he wakes up and he's walking out of there with the limp. He said, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. The other is the story of Samson. He gets up after he gets his hair cut and he shakes himself like he always did before. And he wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed. One story, the Lord was there and they didn't know it. The other story, the Lord left and he didn't know it. That's tragic. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said. We need to become aware of his presence. And when he's moving, we need to seize the day. When there's a healing wave going on in the church, if you're sick, you need to jump in with both feet. When there's salvation being passed out in the church, if you're outside the ark of safety, you need to run for the altar. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you've got a need in your life and the water's troubled and God is saying, come, 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 come. Don't stand back there and hold with your arms folded saying, not today, not today, not today. Get in the stream. Get in the river. Get in what the flow is doing and get something from God. This is your day. I know nobody here has ever done this, but sometimes people go home from church and say, oh, I wish I'd have went and got prayed for today. Oh, I should have went forward today. Oh, why didn't I, why didn't I reach out today? Nobody here's ever done that, right? Never. But you might meet somebody who does. You'll know what to tell them when you do, right? Seize the day. Seize the moment. Seize the time. The Old Testament says the men of Issachar were wise because they discerned the time. They understood the time. They knew that it was time. You know, when God is moving, you need to move with him. One of the biggest words in the Bible only has three letters, and that word is now. Now. You know, the only time you got is now. Anybody here able to retrieve yesterday? Anybody here know what's going to happen tomorrow? The only time you got is now. Whatever you do, you're going to do now. Whatever you get, you're going to get now. Wherever you go, you're going to go now. You only live in now. One fellow said it like this, said, yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Now is cash. Is cash good? All these people talking cashless, they were mighty quiet there a week ago Friday when the internet went down, weren't they? <laughs> you want to go down to Starbucks and get your mocha laddie, whatever it is you drink, and you whip out your old card and they say that ain't working here today. 
You haven't carried any cash for a month and you go out of there with your tongue hanging out, smelling the coffee that everybody else is paying for, wishing you had a little bit. Amen? Now. Everybody say now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. There's a whole lot in the Bible about getting with the program now. Don't say, I'm going to do it someday. Don't say, I should have did it yesterday. Get in the stream now. Today. Today. That's what this blind man he saw. This is my moment. He's never passed this way before. He may never pass this way again, but he's here now. <laughs> he's here now, and I'm not going to miss what's going on. Seize the day. And he gets real vocal, and he's a little loud with his worship. And somebody in the congregation says, Pastor, would you tell them to tone it down a little bit? They're disrupting the meeting. They're disturbing the order of the service. Why, I cannot worship God in an atmosphere like that where it's all free for all. Anybody knows that God is a God of order. It'll always be that way. Somebody gets excited and it offends somebody. You know, the, Charles Spurgeon, I believe it was, years ago. No, it was Charles Finney, years ago. They asked him about revival and about wildfire in his meetings. And he said he wasn't afraid of wildfire because every congregation he ever preached to had lots of wet blankets to put it out. <laughs> Just as soon as somebody gets happy, somebody gets offended. It's almost like it's against the law in church to smile. You know, we, we want to come in there and we want we, people, they come to church and they sit there and they sing, I shall not be moved and mean every word of it. <laughs> Though the Lord may shake me, I shall not be moved. Let the devil take me, I shall not be moved. I'll sit right here and grieve the Holy Spirit, but I shall not be moved. We want order in the house. We want to hear the word. We want dignity. And Why is it you can go to the hockey game and scream your lungs out and everybody say, that's a real fan? You can go to the basketball game, you can jump up and down and they can say, that was a real fan. I stood in a field with 72,000 people watching a rock and roll band one time and the whole place was going up and down. Well, an old man who had a heart uh, condition and had it fixed was out there jumping around the stage singing Satisfaction. <laughs> and 72,000 people were going up and down and up and down with every beat of thing. And everyone said, man, look at the fans. And then you come to church and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords delivers somebody from their wretched lifestyle or saves them or heals them or sets them free and somebody gets excited and everybody says, well, we shouldn't have that in church. Get a life. 
If you can't be happy in church, you ain't allowed to be happy anywhere. If you can't get excited in church, you shouldn't be excited anywhere. If you can't put a smile on when you're entertaining the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you shouldn't be allowed to smile about anything. It's high time that we awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. He's here. Hallelujah. I said he's here. The Lord is in the house. Let's worship him. Praise God. Praise God. There is no substitute for just pulling out all the stops and saying, I came to praise the Lord. I came to worship the Lord. I came to lift up Jesus. And the more they tried to stop him, the more rowdy he got. I like that. Woo! Calm down there. Calm down. Calm down. We'll get you to him. We'll make a way. Just calm down. Sound like one of them bureaucrats you talk to when you try and call CRA. Oh, don't get excited now. We'll get you. We'll put you on hold here for two hours and 15 minutes, and then you can talk to somebody that doesn't have a clue what they're talking about, and they'll try and help you. And we think God's like that. God ain't like that. He says, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Let him that is a thirst come. Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Come, he says, come. Jesus took note of the whole operation. I don't believe he misses very much. Do you think he misses anything? You might think you snuck in here and he didn't notice you, but he brought you here for such a time as this. This service had your name engraved on it before you even opened your left eye this morning. He was already planning how he was going to get under your skin and get your attention and nudge you in the right direction before you even made your morning coffee. That's true. Do you believe Jesus knew who was going to be here before we did? How many believes he did? Sure he did. Now, now let's, 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 let's exercise our logic here this morning. If Jesus knew you were going to be here, and we admit that he did, How many believes he came? So obviously he's not intimidated by you. Is that right? He knew you were going to be here, and he decided to show up. So how far do you got to stretch your imagination before you finally come to the conclusion that maybe, just maybe, he might have wanted to meet you in this house? today. If he didn't want to meet you, he wouldn't have showed up. Or you wouldn't have showed up. That old car you drove here in has 900,000 computer chips all through it that were made in China that they can't get anymore. One of them would have just went and left you alongside the road if he didn't want you here. You know the truth? But instead, you got here. You came here. Jesus says, halt, right there, halt, stop, stop. 
I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that, I'm saying that to these. <laughs> You're doing fine, dear. And he looks over and he says, I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm feeling. I like what I'm seeing. And he says, bring that guy to me. And he gives him three commands. The first thing he says is cheer up. They said, cheer up, things could get worse. So I cheered up and they got worse. <laughs> the Bible says, with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. See, joy is like a bucket. It's what we dip the water with. And just in case you think I'm stretching a point, Jesus prayed that your joy would be full. Joy is your jug. Joy is your bucket. Joy is your cup. Joy is what you dip into the well with. He said, cheer up. Put your smile on. Put your praise on. Get happy again. David said, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me. Hallelujah. Get your praise on. Get your joy on. Get your smile on. Get happy because you're in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he said, we'll enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We'll enter into his courts with praise. And that's how we'll know that the Lord, he is God. It's he that made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's all about putting your praise on. Cheer up. Remember I told you about Paul and Silas last night singing Jailhouse Rock. They're in the middle of the worst night of their lives. And they start singing praises unto God. And God turned that streak of misery into a revival service in just a few minutes. That's how quick he can turn it around. That's why Moses said to the people, stand still and see the glory of the Lord. Cheer up. He hadn't left us. Elvis may have left the building, but Jesus didn't. Amen? He's here. Smile. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. That is true. I don't. And I'm not going to belittle it in any way. Because what you're going through might be more horrible than I can even imagine. But joy is not the absence of trouble. Joy is the manifested presence of God in the midst of my trouble. Jesus said uh, in John, he said to the disciples, he said, I'm going to pray for you. He said, I'm going to pray that you have joy. But while I'm praying, I might as well tell you, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he said, don't be alarmed when trouble comes, because I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. Some people, they think living for God is like a fairy tale. You know, fairy tales are all the same. They all start out with the words, once upon a time. And they all end with the phrase, and they lived happily ever after. And it doesn't matter if it's the princess in the pea or Rumpelstiltskin or Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or Cinderella. They all start out with once upon a time, and they all end with, and they lived happily ever after. 
And people come to God like that. They think, they, they, hear, they hear some of this weird stuff, you know. They, they come and think, once upon a time, I was a dirty, rotten sinner on my way to destruction. I was all messed up. And I heard the gospel and the Lord saved me. And uh, everything from then on was just peaches and cream and rose petals and soft mattresses and steak dinners. And, and, and I lived happily ever after. And that lasts for about three days. The third day, they have a fight with one of their kids, or they get angry with their boss, or they get laid off, or something happens, and they think it's not working anymore. Stuff happens. The rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. You know what that means? That means sometimes bad things happen in good people's lives, and sometimes the worst stinker you know wins the lottery. That's true. The just as well as the unjust. Good comes to us, bad comes to us, stuff happens in our lives. But don't be alarmed. Cheer up. Cheer up. Yeah, life is bad. Yeah, that doctor report was awful. Yeah, the lawyer had some terrible things to say. Look, it's not looking very good. Things are grim. They've given me this many days, or they told me in so many days I'll be broke, or I'm going to go bankrupt. And we get all these reports that we get constantly. Then we turn on the news, and we watch that for 30 minutes and go look for a bridge to jump off of because the world's going to end. And we're just constantly bombarded with this steady stream of negativity and bad news and bad reports and bad stuff and evil things and horrible things. And, and, and we get so, so we, we, we hate the world. We hate the government. We hate one another. And we hate the job. We hate the place we live. We hate this. We hate that. And this dissatisfaction just keeps brewing within us. And it just consumes us to the place we come to church. And that spills over into our church life. Well, the music's too loud. Well, the music's not loud enough. Well, they play all fast songs. Well, they play all slow songs. Well, that preacher, he's too loud. Well, he's not loud enough. He's never excited about anything anymore. Uh, this is happening. That's happening. And just on and on and on. And that dissatisfaction just destroys us. And here is a man who has spent all his life sitting by the side of a road with a little tin cup, and he's all he can see is the inside of his eyelids, and he's rattling this cup every day, hoping that somebody will drop a few coins in so he can live one more day. And in the midst of that misery, he gets one chance at, at a change, and he jumps to his feet, and he starts to worship at the top of his voice, and he says, have mercy on me. And the first thing Jesus says to him is, cheer up. Now, did he say cheer up before he was healed or after he was healed? Cheer up is a faith command because it comes in advance. It's easy to cheer up if you've been blind for 30 years and all of a sudden you see. How many be cheerful about that? But what about when you've been blind for 30 years and you don't know what's going to happen next? You don't even know who's there. And, and he says, cheer up. What are you going to do with that? You ever wonder why the children of Israel, when they're going around Jericho, they shouted after the walls fell or before the walls fell? 
And the neat thing in that story, for seven days, they weren't even allowed to talk. That was God's way of saying, if you ain't going to say nothing good, don't say anything. Amen. <laughs> Zip it until you're ready to praise him. <laughs> Close the lid on that until worship's going to come out. <laughs> Cheer up. Then he said, get up. The word he uses is rise. Everybody say, cheer up. Everybody say, get up. That's the tough one. We struggle with that one. We want everybody to feel sorry for us. We want to sit there in our misery and in our mess, and we want everybody to just come by and pat us on the back and tell us they're praying for us, and they're hoping we get things get better. And, and we, we want all the sympathy we can soak up. You ever read the story of the prodigal son? I told you about that a little while ago, the prodigal son. You know, the neatest line in that whole story is three words. The three words are, and he arose. He thought about going back home. He talked about going back home. He dreamed about going back home. He wondered about going back home. He didn't know how he was going to receive, but, but as he was consumed with the idea of going back home, but nothing changed. He's still sitting there in the pig pen. He still stinks like pigs. He's still eating pig leftovers. He's still dressed in rags. He stinks. Nothing changes until you hear those three words. He talked about it. He thought about it. He pondered it. He dreamed about it. But, and he arose. That's when the tide turns. That's when the story changes. And he arose and he went back. And while he was a great way off, the Bible says the father saw him and had compassion on him. It's the only place in the Bible where you see God in a hurry. It's the only place in the whole Bible where you see Jesus running. He says, the father saw him and had compassion on him and ran to meet him. Hallelujah. The only time God was ever in a hurry is when somebody in trouble started back to him and they smell like pigs and they're dragging their feet and their mind is all, all over the place and they're feeling wretched and miserable, but they've made up their mind they're coming home anyway and they start back home and while they're still a long ways off, God sees them and comes running. You want God to come running to you? You just start to him. And the way you start, and he arose. Jesus said, get up. Yeah. Cheer up. Get up. <laughs> and then the final command was move up. Come here. That's what Jesus said. Bring him to me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Wow. The spirit and the bride say, come. And whosoever will, let him come. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Come. That's what Jesus says. Get up, cheer up, get up, and move up. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.